Welcome to Rich Answers, a public affairs program of the Conference of Churches and a production of the 224 Ecospace, where changemakers work, create, and lead. Today we are fortunate to have with us Pastor Sean Fisher, who serves the First Congregational Church of Bloomfield. The church has a commitment to responding to God's call and going out into the world proclaiming God's love for all creation. They work for justice, bringing Christ peace, and growing in love and faith through service to others. They are a safe and sacred community that welcomes all people and supports each individual journey of faith. Welcome! Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. It is good to have you here. So why don't you start out by telling us a little bit about where you grew up? I grew up for most of my life right in Hartford, uh, not in West Hartford, but right down in Hartford. I went to No Webster, I went to Cork Middle, I went to the pub for a year, and just had a remarkable experience. And that's where kind of I, you know, got my first lessons in life and grew up in a very diverse community. And that's who how my life just you know began. And it was the kind of place where the neighborhood raised you, not just your parents. And you got to know a lot of people and you got to see a lot of things early on about what the world's really like and how that can be wonderful for people um, like myself who were white and middle class and how that wasn't the same for some of my friends who were people of color or people who had other ethnic backgrounds who we would be going out in the park and doing the same things and something would be encountered, you know, with them and not with me. Or one of my friends would be bringing his car by to show it off because he just so proud he bought his first car and all of a sudden a police officer would stop and say, hey, what are you doing hanging around this car? And that never happened to me, um, but it happened to most of my other friends. And so growing up in Hartford gave me a beautiful perspective that I am deeply grateful for. And it wasn't always, you know, those kind of lessons. It was a beautiful place to live the uh, the west end of Hartford and the school systems at the time were doing you know pretty well at the elementary and middle school level, but it was um, you know I wouldn't I wouldn't trade it. I love Hartford. I think it's a great I think it's a great area. I love the greater Hartford area. So how did you get introduced to faith? So I think faith's always been a part of my life. My grandfather, who you know died before I got to know him, you know, before I was one, was an ordained Methodist minister. There's some other history that I found in my discernment process that apparently it's like like Star Wars and the Force, like you know, it just kind of passes on through the family. That there have been a lot of ministers deep into my history when we did some genealogy work as part of my discernment process. My mom uh, was a very faithful person and did a lot of social work and expressed her faith that way, but later was called to uh, ordained ministry in the Episcopal Church. I had absolutely no interest in that whatsoever. It wasn't something I thought about when I was a child. It wasn't an aspiration. It wasn't a dream of mine. I did sing in a uh, men and boys choir at St. James's Episcopal Church in West Hartford, which still has a wonderful music program. And I continued to sing and then began to write music. And that's really where a deep part of my faith connects with is through music and feeling that resonance of the sound and the vibrations and the chest and the head and the whole, you know, the whole body experience of faith. And I went on to a corporate, you know, corporate career, which was very successful. And I'm very 
proud of that corporate career and was there for between you know 20 to 25 years depending on how uh depending on how you look at it and ended up in positions as chief operating officer for different divisions starting up new businesses turning around difficult ones within corporate environments and one day our minister at marlboro congregational church uh asked me if i wanted to guest preach there he knew that um, I had public speaking experience. He periodically let lay people do that. And I said, sure. And I'm very comfortable with public speaking. Uh, I did a lot in boardrooms. I did it in groups as large as 1,000 to 2,000 or, you know, high pressure boardroom interactions. But the idea of going in front of my peers to say something about God or Jesus or the Spirit, I, I was nervous. Like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> I was I was nervous one of the first times in public speaking. But when I got up behind the pulpit, all of a sudden I felt like I was home. I just had this unmistakable just whoosh of something that came down and said, This is where you're supposed to be. This is what you're meant to do. You are home. And then I promptly ignored it and went back to corporate and did my thing. And then about a year later, he asked me to do it again. And I walked in in the same exact experience. And so I went to my pastor and you know, explained all this. And he said, how about this? Why don't you just take one class at Hartford Seminary? You know, just don't go into a program, just take one class. And I sat down in that first class and I remember it vividly in that same feeling, just whoosh, like this is where you're meant to be. This is what you're supposed to be doing. And again, I said, you know, no, thank you. I, so I took classes, but I stayed in my corporate environment. But eventually the messages and the call became too obvious. The discernment process made it too clear. The message from God was too obvious. And finally, I decided to leave that career and go into ministry full time. So let's unpack that a little bit, because you represent the experience of so many people you were raised in faith, you took the path of professionalism and the corporate path. Faith was still with you as you survived corporate America. Talk a little bit more about how faith was there while you were in the boardroom and how you lived that in the midst of it. I appreciate your asking that because sometimes there's this idea out there that I think is unfortunate that everyone in corporate America is somehow evil. Like, you're, like people say the healthcare industry is bad. And it may, may be like from the different perspective and the debate around how healthcare should be provided. That's a legitimate debate. But the people who are working in there, most people are incredibly sincere, well-intended people trying to do a good thing. But the reality is this, there are forces in corporate America that do not lend themselves to ethical activity. And they lend themselves to a bottom line that is not in the best interest of its workers, that is not in the best interest of the people that they're serving. It's not universally the case. A lot of the times they're doing wonderful things for wonderful reasons and delivering outstanding products. But a lot of the times that's not the case. And what I tried to do as a manager, because I was privileged um, in the second half of my career to be a manager of very large organizations um, and processes, was to deeply work into how we do what we do is as important as what we're doing. And the more we could focus on how we did what we did, my argument to the group would be, if we do this the right way, 
the what we do will be better than it would have been if we were just trying to get it done as cheaply, quickly, you know, whatever, um, as possible, instead of trying to do it in a way that was more ethical for the employees, um, better for the ultimate product, and to try to embed just some deep values into the people who I worked with and to not preach to people, but just live a life of integrity that would cast a shadow that people would see and say, okay, that's how I'm supposed to act when I'm a manager. That's how I'm supposed to act in my department if that's how he acts. In addition to that, uh, I was blessed to become part of a culture change process in some of the companies that I was part of and became an innovation uh, culture change expert and started to work with different parts of the organization and help groups that were struggling with how they were treating people to say there is a different and much better way that you can do things that won't reduce your results, but will make them better and the people will be happier and you will be a better person at the end of it. And that culture process is some of the work that I'm most, you know, that I'm most proud of um, in my career. So you talk about the discernment process to answer the call, but you were living the faith day by day in corporate America. How did you weave in your experience of the corporate professional as you were discerning to figure out what your ministry might be like if you were to serve God with all the experiences you had had before? That's, that's a wonderful question because that was part of the discernment process is was it more important for me to be in a full-time congregational ministry setting or was it going to be more beneficial for me to keep this faith and my approach to work and my approach to people within the corporate environment? And that's exactly what I was struggling with in my discernment process. And candidly, most of my mentors and myself are surprised that it ended up in congregational ministry and not remaining in corporate, uh, in corporate America. I think one of the beautiful things is that what has translated amazingly well is the skill sets I learned in corporate into congregational ministry. Because congregational ministry, as you know, you've seen so many different congregations in, in the work that you do that groups are struggling. And what is needed in a minister and a pastor today is dramatically different than it was 20 years ago, is different than it was 10 years ago. And a lot of the important skill sets aren't, the seminaries haven't yet caught up to be teaching some of the very practical things that need to be done because you're not just doing pastoral care, you're not just preaching, you're not just going out into the community, <clears throat> excuse me, but you're doing strategic planning. You're doing how are you going to very often turn the image of a church around when the national narrative is so negative about churches, but you have a wonderful gem in the middle of a beautiful community like Bloomfield. How do you position your church so that people know what you're about when some churches are saying people of a particular persuasion in the LGBTQ plus community are unwelcome and we are open and affirming so anybody from that community is not just welcome to walk in our doors, but it's going to be a safe place. We're not going to bait and switch them later and say, well, you're welcome, but here's the program to change. We're going to affirm who they are as people. So how are you going to position yourself so people know which one you are? Because it's not fair 
to ask someone who's already been hurt in society, who's already vulnerable, to have to guess which church is safe and which church isn't. So it's our job, and that's that's marketing. That's marketing, getting out there and letting people know. Marketing in church, right? You know, it's like, and marketing, letting people know who you are. And that's not a comfortable thing, particularly for congregational churches. And that those kind of skill sets, it takes time. And that's one of the other things to bring from corporate America is that you need to have have patience because congregations don't often move incredibly quickly. If you have good leadership, you can really do some important things very quickly, but you have to be patient with things. And a lot of the skill sets from corporate are directly applicable today because if we keep doing what we're doing, we're going to continue to have the rapid closing of churches that has been this pattern. And I don't believe that's inevitable. I don't believe that's a preordained, you know, consequence that doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. And there are a lot of churches that were in decline that are now thriving. And there are particular reasons for that. And I have a very particular perspective on what it can take to turn that around and the skill sets from corporate blended with the compassion and the tools that Jesus gives us and that God gives us are a remarkable combination, a very powerful combination. We're talking with Pastor Sean Fisher, the pastor of First Congregational Church of Bloomfield, and we'll be back after the break.
It may seem like a sin, but I confess I want it all. I want all of the joy you bring. I want all of the hope you feel. I want all of the strength you have inside. I want all of the good you give. I want all of the peace you provide. I want all of the faith you I want all of the joy you bring. I want all of the hope you feel. I want all of the strength you have inside. I want all of the good you give. I want all of the peace you provide. I want all of the faith that you inspire, Lord. Oh, Lord. I want all of the joy. I want all of the hope you feel. I want all of the strength you have inside. I want all of the good you give. I want all of the peace you provide. I want all of the faith that you inspire. Lord, oh Lord, I need.
My name is Caspian. Beyond these woods, I'm a prince. My uncle has always wanted my throne. He's a tyrant and a murderer, and I've only lived this long because he didn't have an heir of his own. Last night, Miraz had a son. My uncle won't stop until I'm dead. It's only a matter of time before these woods are full of Telmarine soldiers. The throne is rightfully mine. They help me claim it and I can bring peace. They'll be here soon. I am Prince Caspian the Tenth. Together we have a chance to take back what is ours. Explore new worlds. Read Caspian's story in the novel The Chronicles of Narnia, Prince Caspian by C.S. Lewis. For other great book ideas, visit your local library or log on to www.literacy.gov. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. Welcome back. We're talking with Pastor Sean Fisher of First Congregational Church of Bloomfield. So in the first segment, we were talking about your discernment process and your life in corporate America. So how did the door open for you to end up at First Church in Bloomfield? What happened? <laughs> so it was, it was interesting. I wasn't looking particularly at Bloomfield Congregational Church at the time. And I was asked to guest preach for Palm Sunday service at Bloomfield. And for some reason, after talking with one of the leaders there, Carolyn Delgado, who a very faith, um, strong faith, wonderful, wonderful leader within that congregation, just in our conversation, something different felt like it was going on. And so I, I asked Linda, my wife, to you know, join me for this because it felt like it was going to be a little different. And we drove up to the church and it hadn't been painted and the steeple looked like it was all, you know, messed up. And we're driving up and we're like, oh, no, this place is in trouble. And then we walked in. And the moment we walked in, that same feeling I got that first time I preached, when I went into the first day of seminary, that you're where you're meant to be, the Spirit was so powerful just walking into that church. And it wasn't just me. My wife felt it too. And then we went in and introduced ourselves to everybody, and the place was so welcoming. And then we did the service, and you know, I preached, and I'd introduced myself to everybody. And then that night when I got home, I got a call from our regional minister who said, I don't know what happened, <laughs> but, got, but I got a call from their head of their search committee, the head of their council, the head of this person, and a bunch of other people saying, how do we get him in here to be our new pastor. Wow. And I had left there saying, I don't know what just happened, but I hope they felt what I felt because I would love to be the new pastor of that congregation. So I, all I can say is that was spirit-led because it wasn't part of a process. It wasn't part of a... They had been going through a long search process. You know, multiple years had not found a fit. And... Then that happened, and then we went and went, went through a pro, you know went through a proper process at that point. Once I was introduced, that it was a fair and reasonable process for everybody. But that's how it went, and just it's totally spirit led. Once we went in, whoosh, <laughs> it was incredible. So when you look at your journey of life formation, faith formation, mm -hmm. ministry formation, why do you believe God said you were a good fit for this place? How does it come together? I, I think for a few reasons. One, 
because I needed to have a church before Bloomfield. I wouldn't have been ready for what I needed to do at Bloomfield if I hadn't been at my first call for a few years. And also what's coming together in Bloomfield, part of my background, growing up in Hartford, having spent a bunch of time in Bloomfield, having a lot of friends in Bloomfield, very familiar with Bloomfield, and then having lived in Marlboro and other places before, honestly, I like the diversity. You know, more comfortable in diversity. I feel much more at home um, in Bloomfield than in other communities. And I think that it was a church, and Bloomfield Congregational is a church that is still healthy. It's not, it's not sick. It's not at that stage where kind of there's an inevitable direction, but it's at that hinge point where they need someone who can help lead them to make the decisions. Ultimately, it's the congregation's decisions to make, but they need someone to help be very honest with them about where they are. And sometimes the corporate skills allow me to lay things out in a very clear manner. This is where this is trending. This is where this is going. This is what needs to be done. If we don't do this, then that is the result. And I'm not afraid to speak with clarity to people. And one of the other benefits, I think, <clears throat> has been the fact that because I had the corporate career and was successful in that corporate career, I'm unafraid as a pastor. I'm unafraid to speak what I think the truth of the gospel is. I'm unafraid to speak to social justice issues I'm unafraid to speak truth to power. I'm unafraid to speak truth that is uncomfortable to a congregation if that's what needs to be said. Not because I think it needs to be said, but because that's what Jesus' example is telling us that what needs to be done. And unfortunately, I've seen some pastors who are afraid to speak their truth because, because they're afraid of losing their job. And I've lost my job before. I know what that's like. That's not fun. That hurts. But every time something better has come out as a result, and it has been a transformative, positive experience. So having been through that and knowing that I've come out on the other end better more than once, I'm able to speak that truth. Candidly, also, I'm in a different financial position than some other people are. So if people want to say, okay, if you keep being like this, you're going to have to go. I'm like, all right. I can still retire. <laughs> I'm, still I'm like, all right. <laughs> we, we, can, we can survive that. Been there. And I think that that is important for pastors to be able to feel that freedom. Because if you're constrained and you feel constrained and you feel that you could be threatened by people and that your family situation or your financial situation could collapse, if you're speaking the truth of the gospel, that's a hard position to be able to be at your best. Well, speaking the truth of the gospel is a bit risky. The first guy who did it, you know, we know what happened to him. Yep, (laughs) absolutely. When we look at this thing called speaking truth to power, It is risky, so you have to have some kind of assurance in order to do that kind of work, especially in certain kinds of settings. So talk a little bit more about the demographic of the First Church of Bloomfield. So I think a lot of um, 
your listeners and other people of faith are familiar, and I'm going to paraphrase it here, you know, Dr. King's words of Sunday morning being some of the most segregated time in America. And that was true when he said it, and it is still true today. And we are blessed at Bloomfield Congregational Church to have a very diverse community. It is both diverse in age, it is diverse in race, it is diverse in culture, it is diverse in ethnic background, it is diverse in all kinds of different um, ways. It's diverse in terms of, you know, gender identity and all kinds of other, all kinds of other ways. So that is a beautiful, beautiful thing for us, but it also presents challenges. And if you're going to have a sincere, sincerely diverse community, you can't leave it on the surface. You can't just come in together and then kind of, hi, how are you? Because the reality is different than that. You're meant to go deep if you're going to be part of a community of faith, if you're going to be there for each other, working side by side and trying to figure out how we're going to make this world a better place, then in a time when so many forces are trying to divide us, where actual organizations purpose, known purpose, is to go out and try to find ways to divide people along political grounds, on racial grounds, on economic grounds, all kinds of different ways. Where is community going to be built? How can we show that, no, you cannot split us that way? So we feel like we need to do that work and dig deep to show that you can't divide us. That a community that is diverse and sincere and embraces difference as a strength can take place. But the simple fact is that there are a lot of hurts out there. And they're still occurring, and some of them are personal, and some of them are institutional. Some of them are just people are unaware of privilege, and others are just unaware of the benefits that we get from institutional structures that are just unjust. And so how you have that conversation in a way that can help both those who have been oppressed and those who don't identify themselves as the oppressors but have been beneficiaries of that system and therefore are part of that oppressed class. That's a very delicate thing. So the experiment can blow up. So going into this congregation, I'm acutely aware that this is a beautiful, beautiful thing. It's like a, it's like a flower, and it could either get the cold winter that knocks it out if it's done wrong, or it could become this real true beacon to show what it can be like. But you have to dig deep to do that. We're talking with Pastor Sean Fisher, the pastor of First Congregational Church of Bluefield, and we'll be back after the break. You have been listening to Rich Answers, a public affairs program of the Conference of Churches. Why is Connor having trouble focusing in school? Having trouble finding Connor's middle school? Would you like directions? No, why is Connor having trouble focusing in school? Finding lowest airfare to Istanbul. No, I'm, I'm tired of fighting with him over homework. 
Home walk restaurant. Need a review? No, I need help. He's very smart, but his mind wanders. He's disorganized. I think I understand. Oh, good. French fries. Finding best potatoes. No! Russet. Fingerling. You can't go. Why don't you understand me? Sorry, I was trying to show how Connor feels every day. Frustrating, isn't it? Redirecting to understood.org. For the one in five kids with learning and attention issues, this is what life can feel like. Explore understood.org, a free online resource about learning and attention issues designed to help your child thrive in school and in life. Understood.org, because understanding is everything. I heard the news today. It was hard to catch my breath. Each tragic moment bigger than the last. It's hard to face so much pain. And we ask, where are you? Cause sometimes it's hard to see. We're looking for what to hold on to and reason to believe. And God, what are we doing when we see your people fall? Does it seem Time to start over. And I know they'll be all right, held in your arms up there, but I'm having trouble seeing. And God, what are we doing when we see your people fall? Cause it seems the way we're going, the answer is nothing at all. And I tell you that I want to blame you with all we're seeing now. If you went and talked to no And we ask, where are you? Cause sometimes it's hard to see. We're looking for what to hold on to and a reason to believe. And I know that 
of you you never knew you left behind and as the sun goes down he rises with a smile he's waiting on the night to fall the old man's coming to call but you don't see the writing on the wall he'll never step out in the light no he's just biding time And while you slumber, he's gonna come and take it all He's waiting on the night to fall He's waiting on the night to fall He knows you have the answers The truth lies dusty on your shelf And the sword that you could slay him with Become an ornament and nothing else You could put him back down in his hole in the ground But he knows you never will He's been around so long You got used to the smell He's waiting on the night to fall The old man's coming to call But you don't see the writing on the wall He'll never step out in the light biding his time and as you slumber he's gonna come and take it all he's waiting on the night to fall he's waiting on the night to fall he knows he'll never have your soul but he will gladly rob you blind 
While you're feasting at his table He'll tie your hands and numb your mind He'll take you farther than you want to go He'll keep you longer than you want to stay And it will cost you more than you ever thought you'd pay He's waiting on the night to fall The old man's coming to call30,000 square feet. What would you do with that kind of possibility? Would you strategize your future? Or get lost in the past? Will you fill it with stories? Or use it to empty your mind? Would you explore your spirituality? or focus on improving your community? Will you use it to work late? Or just work it? Could you create lasting impressions? Or a brief delicious one? Our vision for the 224? 30,000 square feet of endless possibilities. Welcome back. We're here with Pastor Sean Fisher of the First Congregational Church of Bloomfield. And one of the things that is listed on your website as you describe the church is we are a safe and sacred community. What do you mean by a safe and sacred community? Safe means that no matter who you are, no matter where you are on your journey in life, no matter what you have done, you are welcome to walk in the doors and you will be greeted with a smile. You will be welcomed and not just welcomed because you walked in the door, but we will have tried to make an effort to invite you. Maybe not you personally, but to try to let people know of different backgrounds, particularly ones 
who may be afraid to come into a church and say, you are invited here. We acknowledge who you are and we affirm who you are. And that can come in all kinds of different ways. For example, we started a community meals program about five months ago. And in that brief period of time, have served, you know, 3,000 meals to, you know, people in need. But we tried, we wanted to expand that. And so it's not just people who are homeless or people who are poor, but we're bringing people from different backgrounds to come together so that we can build communities, so that people can get to know each other. They sit at the tables together and sometimes change where they're, you know, where they're seating so they can get to know each other. Now it's neat. A few months in, people who didn't know each other when it began are like, hi, Dave. Hi, Yolanda. Hi. You know, they're excited when they come in. But one of the things we also do is we sometimes send vans out, or not sometimes, all the time, send vans out to some of the shelters in Hartford and bring them and bring the people in. And some of these people are struggling with mental illness issues, with all kinds of other issues. And we let them know that they are just as welcome as anybody else there. And some of those people have now started attending the church, and they're not financial contributors to the church, right? They're not bringing a bunch of young children to the church, so that's not the focus to just bring in money and bring in, you know, young people. The point is to bring in the people who are hungry, the people who are cold, the people who are oppressed, the people who are shunned, the people who are made to be ashamed for whatever condition that they're in, and those are the people that we're called to serve, not called to bring in to save the church, called to bring in to serve the people. And so I have a tremendous belief that we need to turn the model on its head and not go out and say, okay, who do we need to go get so that we can grow the church to make it like it used to be and stabilize the financial condition of the church? No, spread God's love. Let's go to Matthew 25, 35 to 40, right? If you, you know, you clothed me, if you fed me, if you went and visited me when I was sick and you went to the prison to take care of me, then you took care of my family, and that means you took care of me. And that's what it's all about. And that's what it's all about. Right? And, and if we go about doing that, then in the process, I believe that that will be a place that the Spirit wants to invest in. And that from that, gifts will just kind of happen because we're doing the will of God and we're doing the work of God. And when that happens, I'm willing to trust, I'm willing to bet, and I'm trying to get people to trust me to make that bet that if we do the countercultural move, the thing that's not expected, that if we actually follow this guy, Jesus, then it's going to work. Then it's going to work. And one of the groups that right now is very often kind of ashamed are, are people who have been battling mental illness. And we recently did a three-week sermon series on mental illness with some um, what we call a second-hour education programs afterwards and let people know that we're aware of the battles and that we in the congregation are having these struggles too and that you are invited into our community as well. And that had a big impact in the um, community. A number of people... Came, a number of people who were in the congregation who either had friends or family members or themselves battling with mental illness issues, just preaching that, just speaking about that so that they know, oh, I'm safe here even with that. And I can invite someone in 
who has that condition, now the public access station in Bloomfield is picking up that sermon series and is going to broadcast that because they feel that more people in the town need to know that there's a place that if people with mental illness who are currently feeling shunned and ashamed have a place to go and are going to be embraced and welcomed, that that's a part of building community. And Bloomfield really as a town is focused on building community. And that's powerful. And talk about your programming for children and young families. So we have a number of different things that we do on that um, in that area. One is, you know, we have a, you know, vibrant um, Sunday school program for when we do that. We also have a wonderful, you know, vacation school. In addition to that, we have a about a 40 student nursery school, not that we rent out the space, but that we actually run that nursery school. And that is a just tremendous energy boost within the, you know, within the church. So whenever I'm down or anything, I just walk down and say hi to the children and mm-hmm. energy boost and everything's, uh, everything's good. But we, that is a certified, you know, the teachers there have bachelors, have master's degrees, and are just exceptionally focused on youth. So the orientation, and that's a mission of the church, so we have kind of a grounded orientation around youth. In addition to that, um, kind of for our teens and preteens, we do have a youth group program. We just cleaned out a whole new section of our church that's dedicated. It's got a, it's got a coded lock that the youth have to give the adults mm-hmm. if they want to let the adults in. We do, we do, uh, we do. I, I do have the combination. Some other, so you know, don't worry. Your youth are safe in there. But you know, air hockey table and the kids picking what they want to create it and making them a part of creating that space. So we're trying to create space and opportunity, but also accountability. Like we don't do everything for them. They they are to do something. In addition to that, we believe that having youth involved in mission is as much a part of the faith experience as being in service. So having people encounter other people. So once a month, our youth group works on our community meals program. And when you look at people in need, when you look at them in the eye, my personal belief is you're looking at Jesus every day. You're looking at the eyes of God in different forms and the people we're supposed to take care of. We invite people from like the Girl Scouts from Bloomfield. One of the troops there was there for one day. And now we have other groups calling in to come in. And so it's not just about the youth who are in our church. It's all about community and how can we outreach whether they're going to attend at our church or not how can we all work together for the betterment of the community so our youth is about our own youth but it's also about reaching out to other youth whether they're going to a different church or they're part of a different organization and bringing that all together to see what a healthy mission-oriented church that focuses on those in need instead of just trying to survive can look like and, and, and youth are always impacted by that. And they want always. that opportunity to serve. That's exactly right. So if someone's listening now and they're saying, hmm, that sounds like an interesting church, how do they find out more and when do you have worship? So our worship is every Sunday at 10 a.m. And that is a spirit-filled, you know, filled, wonderful, uh, wonderful worship followed by fellowship time. You know, after that, we have Bible studies. Uh, every Wednesday, one in the morning from 11.30 to 1, and then one in the evening from 6.30 to 8 p.m. But the regular Sunday services are Sunday at 10 p.m. If anybody wants to, you know, reach... 
Oh, did I say 10 p.m.? Yeah. 10 a.m. Sorry, 10 a.m. Oops. I, I do oh, that every once church. in a while. It's That's like a cool. night church. Yeah, no, maybe someday. Maybe someday. Not yet. But yeah, 10 a.m. on Sunday. Uh, another way is you can always give us a call. I love talking with people individually. 860-242-0776. That's 860-242-0776. You can just call or you can you know, Google First Congregational Church in Bloomfield or Bloomfield Congregational Church. Our website will pop up. And you're uh, welcome to learn more about us that way. But always feel free to give us a call. We like to talk to people uh, one-on-one and welcome into our congregation. Pastor Sean Fisher, we thank you for your service in Bloomfield and look forward to seeing what comes next. Absolute pleasure to be here. Thank you very much. You have been listening to Rich Answers, a public affairs program of the Conference of Churches and a production of the 224 Ecospace. Reach out to us and tell us what you think. Look for Rich Answers, the Conference of Churches, and me, Reverend Dr. Shelley Bess, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Like us, follow us, share us.